Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of Opera Box Score. I'm your host, George Cedarquist. Wherever you are, however you're listening, thanks for joining us. We are America's talk radio show about opera. Now I hear you saying opera ain't your thing, but get this. We tackle everything about opera and body slam it into a sports radio setup. Guess what? You get to have your say live on the air. Call us on 847-866-WNUR. That's 847-866-9687. Or if you're shy, you can leave us a message on 224-218-9BOX. Again, 224-218-9269. Tonight, my co-host Oliver Macho Camacho leads off with a preview of the upcoming Met in HD broadcast of the Pearl Fishers and makes a case for this underappreciated buddy opera with great tunes and bare chests. Later on in the show, my co-co-host, Giovanna Jacques, talks about the Prototype Festival, which opens this week. It's where you can see the very best of contemporary opera. You don't want to miss out as we run down the highlights. But there's lots to get to first. In 15 minutes, I'll give you a complete recap of the week's opera headlines. And at the bottom of the hour, it's our all-new segment called Monday Evening Quarterback, where we hand out the grades to a recent opera performance. Plus, don't miss our pop quiz feature where you can play live on the air and win prizes like tickets to an upcoming opera performance in Chicago. Call us now, 847-866-9687 to play. Let's do this. We're live. No edits, no filters. Kickoff is next. Keep it locked right here, right now. WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago, and Opera Box Score. Opera Class. Sports Radio Crass. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, and Giovanna Jacques. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Wow, that was so, so that was, deep. That was the sexiest I've ever heard your name mm, said. Mm. You know, the best sound in the, in the human language, or what is, it, how, what is that expression? The most beautiful sound is somebody's own name or something like that, you know. I think that was, what you're trying to say is the most beautiful sound is my name. Mm, Giovanna Jock. Uh, ow. <laughs> ow. Giovanna, haven't you just been called Jock in the past? Jock. Jock. We're a sports show. Jock. It Giovanna makes sense, Jock. doesn't it? Yeah. Jock. Jock. It really makes Giovanna. sense. Um, so is season two for Opera Box Score... What are other like things that in their second season they got better and better? Like Game of Thrones or something like that. Was season two of Game of Thrones the best season? No. No? Game of Thrones has been consistently wonderful since okay. day one. Okay. All right. Well, say, so has Opera Box Score. The Bachelor. Mm. No, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> Doesn't The Bachelor premiere, to, pr- premiere tonight? Yeah, the this, is, this is the beginning yeah, of The Bachelor. Yeah, so yeah, we're competing with tonight. The Bachelor. I know those of you are listening to the Opera Box Score on WNUR and watching The Bachelor at the same time because... You don't need to hear those people. You can look at them. They're nice to look at, but you don't need to hear them. Yep. Yeah. No, it's very true. Hey, uh, Oliver, how was your Christmas? How was my Christmas? Yeah. Um, it was fine. I mean, I'm a little bit sad now that I, I'm done with all my turkey stock, so there's no more gravy. Gravy season is over. That's right. It's, you cooked up a big feast. Yeah, it's always bittersweet when the last of the of the stock is used up. You yeah. Know? It takes a long time to make that damn stock. Can I mm. say damn? Yeah, yeah, you can okay. say Okay. Did you just give me the finger? 
No, I scratched my nose. Okay. Javana was like getting back at me for calling your jock. And, and how about you, Javana? How was your Christmas? My Christmas was wonderful. She I got to spend it with my sister, my mother, and my sister's fiance. And I got to know him better, which was lovely. And it was really fun. Did you get some good presents? Uh, I got improv classes at Second City. Nice. Oh, that's disappointing. No, that's great. I asked for that. Well, isn't there like only one present that really every woman wants? To hear her name? No, it's said uh, by that guy that does our announcements. What's his name? <laughs> by Norm? No, it's it's batteries. I don't get I it. think it's a sexual joke, but Is we're we're on public. Never radio, mind. So Move what? on. Yeah. Wait, what? Uh, Oliver Chalk Talk. <laughs> This is over to you. Uh, it's the meat and potatoes of our show. Uh, take us through so, it. Set it so up. So meaty. Um, well, for those of you who follow the uh, Met and HD broadcasts, you probably already know that the next broadcast is coming up, not this Saturday, but next Saturday, the 16th, I think it is, uh, which is going to be uh, The Pearl Fishers by Georges Bizet. Oh. And I, um, I'm a big fan of Bizet. I'm not saying I know all of his operas, but uh, I like him. I like he's a, He's a good guy. I think he's doing all right. You know, he died young and he wrote one of the most famous operas of all time, which is Carmen. And uh, he wrote great tunes and he even wrote like some songs, the piano and some little orchestral suites. And it's all good stuff. And this opera, Pearl Fishers, was composed about 12 years before Carmen premiered. So still a very young composer. And uh, I think he's showing his stuff. I mean, he's really uh, given a great audition as a grand opera composer this early in his career. The libretto is silly, but, you know, there are plenty of operas with silly librettos, so just get over it, you know? Like, it's it's a great show with great tunes. He's kind of carrying on through the tradition of Berlioz and Gounod and writing grand opera. And also, you know, uh, staying in the tradition of exploring oriental exotic themes that the French were known for. And, yeah, this opera is set in, like, Sri Lanka or something like that. And it's supposed to make us all feel very exotic. You know, when we listen to it, like we're we're so cultured, we know about India and stuff like that when we listen to it. And it's a really big deal that it's being done at the Met, right? Because it's the first time in, what, 100 years since they've done it. Yeah, Yeah. it's been a while since they've done this show. And they have an amazing cast for uh, this, you know, reboot of Pearl Fishers with uh, Matthew Polanzani singing the tenor role of Nadir. uh, Marius Kvitschen, my boyfriend, Mm -hmm. singing the role of Zurga. And then no less than Diana Damrau uh, in the heroine role, the virgin chaste goddess role of um, Leila. Um, and yeah, it's supposed to be a really hot production. It's going to be broad because we're all going to see it. We'll probably talk about it on our, on our show that comes after the 16th. Uh, but they have this great uh, co-production with, I think, the ENO mm-hmm. with Penny Woolcock. What's her name, Penny? Penny Woolcock directed the original production at ENO, and I think it's in 2010. And uh, as you said, yeah, this is a perfect example of how we can really continue the conversation about this show. It's going to be done in the Met HD broadcast. Two performances, I think. Definitely, our team is going to go see it. I encourage you listeners to go see it as well. So you Let's all go together. Let's have an opera box score meetup. That when would I was be. Doing the research, sorry, George. When I was doing the research for it, Oliver, I was so amazed by how um, the the pictures of how they use the water for the production and all of the the lighting and stuff and the projections to really make it seem like that they're actually in the sea. And I read something about how they're suspended on invisible wires when they're actually fishing for pearls, which is mm, really cool. Sexy. Yeah. Well, let's hear a little bit of uh, the cast of this production. Uh, first, we'll hear, if you go to the YouTubes or you go to the Met broadcast, you can pull up this little one-minute video of Matthew Polanzani singing the cavatina of the tenor uh, Nadir, one of the hardest arias written 
for the tenor voice. And I have to say that if you look, listen to this is my my pointy head, my pointy head moment. If you listen to uh, you know a lot of French operas, there is sort of this uh, penchant, as we say in American, uh, for the high tenor voice, which is related to the old contra. Uh, writing of composers like Rameau and Charpentier, uh, that kind of was the model for the French hero uh, in French opera, like this very high tenor voice, uh, which sounds effeminate to us, uh, to the modern ear. We are, I think, more used to hearing like the more virile Italian tenor sound. But uh, a great exponent of the high French tenor roles these days is Matthew Polanzani. And let's just hear one minute of this aria, which is so, so hard. Is my mic on? famous 32 bars of the show, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I'm so sorry. I, I misspoke. And this would never happen on a podcast because you can m- fix your mistakes. But <laughs> on a live show, these things happen. That's actually the, the most famous uh, melody from the entire opera, which gets rehashed as sort of like the friendship theme uh, between Zurga and Nadir as they pledge to not let a woman get, betwe- a woman get between them. So it's super gay. Uh, that is actually <laughs> Matthew Polanzani and uh, Marius Kvichen from a studio recording they made of the duet back in 2001, I want to say. Uh, so the, the, the two singers that are going to be on this uh, Met broadcast uh, in a studio version, um, they're both very young and that was very early in their careers, but they both sound great. And you can hear that tone quality in Polanzani's voice that makes them perfect for this music. And I have to say, like when I was a young man and I thought I was going to get married, I would like to sing this duet at my own wedding with the baritone that I'm going to eventually marry. But Oliver, it's never too tenor. late. Yeah, no, but Only I'm saying, but a tenor would want to do that. No, but I'm. A, I think that I've opened up my uh, possibility for a husband uh, past baritones. I think I'm now looking more <laughs> to continual players and conductors. You know, you got to be more, That's you know, insane, cast a wide Oliver. net. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, so that was uh, the famous duet. But let us actually now hear Matthew Polanzani singing one minute of this aria from uh, the Met. Oh, 
So for anybody who knows anything about tenors and their voices, like that aria sits entirely in the passaggio and it's exhausting to sing it. And to be able to float that high A like he does is just insane. Anyway, uh, it is sort of true that this libretto is pretty weak and that the characters aren't really well developed. But I have to make a case for the role of Zurga, the baritone, who ends up kind of being the enlightenment ideal uh, in this show, the the true hero of the show. And he has a very, you know, complex, psychologically complex uh, aria where he kind of deliberates between his friendship with Nadir and his sort of uh, revenge he wants to have against him for breaking their vow and his desire for Layla all happens in the aria. Uh, oh, Nadir, I think is the, the name of the first line. Um, so let's hear a very old recording, not that old, uh, from 1970, uh, Sesto Bruscantini singing the last like two pages of this aria uh, from the... It is so exciting that the Met is doing this show. Again, the first time they've done it in 100 years. And, you know, there is so much to this show besides just the famous, uh, you know, male duet. And more often than not, you're going to get a bear hunk in the role of Zorga, and there's going to be some nipples. <laughs> reason enough. Opera nipples! Reason enough to go. <laughs> we are going to step aside for one second here on Opera Box Score. Remember, you can be part of the conversation. Give us a call, 847-866-WNUR, 847-866-9687. You can also leave us a voicemail, 224 224- 2189box. That's 224-218-9269. We're trending on Twitter. The Twitter handle is Opera Box Score. This is 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago. You're listening to Opera Box Score.
Pedestrians are funny people. They jump out at you when you least expect it. For safety tips drivers and pedestrians all need to know, visit aaos.org, a public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. More and more babies in America are being born dangerously early, so early their lives hang in the balance. Despite the best medical care, thousands don't get through the first month. Premature birth is growing at an alarming rate. It affects one in eight babies. The March of Dimes funds research to give all babies a fighting chance. Help the March of Dimes stop the crisis of premature birth. For information or to help, go to marchofdimes.com. The baby we save may be your own. Did you know that the average age when kids start to use drugs is between 13 and 14? The good news is that kids who learn a lot about the risks of drugs from their parents are half as likely to use drugs. So you need to start talking. Not sure what to say? The Partnership for a Drug-Free America's Illinois affiliate, Prevention First, has free brochures, posters, and other materials for parents, teachers, and anyone who wants to keep our kids from using drugs. For help, go to prevention.org. A message from Prevention First and WNUR. This just in, the two-minute drill. It's time for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know from the past week in two minutes tops. The Metropolitan Opera is considering adding performances on Sundays. The house is currently the only one of America's big four, including San Francisco, Houston, and Chicago, not to offer showings on the Sabbath. General Manager Peter Gelb told the New York Times that based on union rules, quote, to have Sunday performances paid at double time would defeat the purpose of having them, end quote. Or maybe the Met just doesn't want to go head-to-head against the football fans for the Jets and the Giants. Also announced in the New York Times was that Bernard Foucault, the general director of the Aix-en-Provence Festival, plans to step down from his position at the end of 2017. Foucault, who joined the festival in 2007 and has led it through a number of artistic successes, said in a statement that he felt, quote, the need to start a new chapter, end quote, after spending nearly a decade in his position. Sounds like he'll have some drinking time on his hands. Stephen Lord's 25-year run as music director of Rapid Theatre of St. Louis will end following the company's 2017 festival season. The internationally influential conductor will continue to serve as music director emeritus. For the company's 2016 season, Lord will conduct Verdi's Macbeth, and in 2017, he'll lead Mozart's La Comenza di Tito. Lord will also continue to oversee the selection and mentoring of singers in its two young artist programs, and the maestro will continue to conduct select main stage productions. So the more things change, you know the rest. Gordon Getty, an amateur composer who pays for his own works to be performed, has issued a garbled and incoherent attack on opera subsidy on a classical website that he bizarrely subsidizes. That's all according to columnist Norman Lebrecht, who writes that Getty's line of argument seems to be that stage directors would not run to sex and violence if they were not backed by public cash. Both Getty and Lebrecht are known for their completely irrational behavior. Don't believe things you read on Lebrecht's website. And that's the two-minute drill. Famous liar. Sports Radio Crass. This is Opera Box Score. Who made the grade? Here's Monday evening quarterback. And we are back on Opera Box Score, WNUR 89.3 FM. Give us a shout, 847 866 
224-218-9687. Or leave us a voicemail, 224-218-9box, 224-218-9269. And um, Oliver just called me out. I was like, we're trending on Twitter, and I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Hashtag opera nipples at opera box score. What's our, what's our handle, Giovanna? Opera box score is our handle. Our hashtag is opera box score as well. Okay. See if you can break the internet with all of that. Hashtag opera nipples. But it's true. You know, here we are, season two of Opera Box Score. You know, this whole show began with the idea that sports is like the most pervasive thing in our culture. And what if we could make opera as pervasive as sports? What if we could talk about it with the same frequency and the same passion that we talk about sports? That's the goal of the show. That's why you're listening. That's why we want you to be part of the conversation. Monday Evening Quarterback is our chance to review the performances over the weekend, over the last couple of weeks, and uh, again, to continue that conversation. And what Giovanna and I both saw in the last couple of weeks or so was the production of The Merry Widow at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Now, we could talk about it in a very educated and erudite way, but I think it would be a lot more effective if we just simply gave basic letter grades to everything and reduced this thing to its lowest possible terms. So, Giovanna, what's your uh, topic or part of the show you want to give a grade to? I want to give Renee Fleming an A. Oh, so generous. Happy New Year, Renee Fleming. I want to give Renee Fleming's dresses an F. Ooh. Ouch. <laughs> oh, dang. Because they were awful like take gaudy and then multiply it by 10 and you had the costumes in the merry widow hmm. were they period costumes yeah they were wait can i give one more grade i yeah, want to yeah. give one more yeah. grade. i want to give the can can dancers also maybe a d mm. because they were they their dancing was great but they kept doing this really annoying like oh oh they're making whooping Wee! noises they were whooping. And it was like in yeah. rhythm, and it was really annoying, and it was very, very not pleasing to the ear, and it was not organic or anything. So that's my that's my merry. So you'd be okay with the whooping if it felt of a part of like if like if yeah, the, if it, were if it like felt not, sincere. Yeah, yeah. It was like conducted. It okay. was conducted whooping. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna give uh, James Hampton, who played um, uh, Danny Lowe, the the male lead. I'm gonna give him a C for mm. his accuracy in the text, or maybe it's the titles guy. But frankly, I mean, they set those titles, you know, during the rehearsals, and they have no control in the moment mm. whether or not those performers are gonna say what's on the screen. So did they did they text? Did they give you super titles for the for the spoken part of the show too? Every single. So you thing, could man. read what they're speaking. Oh, that's you, well, terrible. You could yeah. read what they weren't actually saying because in his case he was not uh i said james hampton i meant thomas hampton thomas uh, hampson yes exactly okay <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that makes that, sense. you know that guy <laughs> uh I, I look at me i can't even get his name right he couldn't get the lines right it's yeah. hard it's hard, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. but i expected more you know I, I that was very disappointing you so see, you saw nicole cabell is my understanding i did and i'm gonna i'm gonna give myself a c for that because i was truly disappointed that it wasn't Renee Fleming, but I really shouldn't have been. I mean, she was great. Yeah, she won Cardiff Singer of the World a couple years ago. Her career took off. She's wonderful. Yeah, she's gorgeous. She did, I think, just a master class at DePaul University. Did you you go to that? I did not. I had to work. We all suck. Yeah. Um, She's a friend of Opera Now, so I only have wonderful things to say about her. And I played her uh, singing the Poison Aria when I was doing my Roman Juliet. So that's my my connection to Nicole Cabell. (laughs) I I thought you were going to say I I played her in a movie. I I poisoned her. So, you know, Susan Stroman was the director of the original production um, 
at the Metropolitan Opera, which is where the show came from, and uh, it got panned. The Metropolitan version of it, and panned. and it, and it should have. I mean, the directing was like a C. I, you know, these she's a first of all, she's a choreographer as mm-hmm. much as a director. The dancing was absolutely boring. The transitions were extremely long. I, you know, good directors tackle the transitions first. They tackle how we're going to get from scene to scene to scene and act to act to act. And the idea... You're big on transitions. I'm, it's, you it, complained about the transitions of Votsek as well. I so. mean, it is my thing. Like, yeah. it's, it's, I Wait, just, you didn't I, complain about the transitions? No, I, no, no, I, no, it was Oliver who liked them. Yeah. He, and Votsek? Yeah. The curtain thing? Yeah. I, thought I that was, loved that. I, I loved it too. Dreadful. You yeah. did? Yeah. No, I'm, okay, well, hey, look, we can we can go oh, back to Votsek no, if no, you no, want no. to. I'm so shocked. I'm giving those transitions a D. It's... No, that, you, you tackled the transitions first. That's how you figure out how the whole thing moves. And she she should know better than that, mm. you know? I I don't know if it was like the house at Chicago couldn't handle it the way the Met could handle all the sort of the technical side of things. I'm sure it wasn't the assistant who remounted the show because he's a fantastic guy and he's, you know, he knows what he's doing, colleague of mine, Dan um, Ragazzi. So, I, yeah, I just a C on those transitions. Is there anything we can give an A to, Jojo? Well, I, I give bef- an A to Renee. Besides Renee? Um, can about- I, let, let's, let's, let's talk about something right now. Operetta, you know, this is a genre that we're not used to. And there was a time probably, you know, in the turn of the 20th century where – we were used to the genre and like we could deal with the corniness of the script and where we still were going to the theater for the melodies and for the singing, for the legit singing, you know, now we're so used to really fast paced musical theater, such as, you know, Sondheim or even faster than that, like whatever this Hamilton show, which everybody's talking about, I haven't seen it yet, you know? Right. And like, we're just so used to things being like, you know, funny, you know, being really smart, being very quick. And I think something like Mary Widow maybe, you know, feels so old fashioned to us. So when you take it, I don't know, what is Susan's, what's her name? Susan, what her name? Susan Stroman. Susan Stroman. What is her, what is her other work? Does she do a lot of musical theater? She, she do has more? done big Broadway productions that are extremely fast paced, so slick. She did an amazing revival of The Music Man, I'm going to say 10 years ago, probably. I, you know, she's done every canonical work. Uh, no, it's so I think that I just have, I think that in general, us as an audience, we might have trouble with this genre. You know, I think we can accept th- things that move narratively slow in like Puccini, or whatever, because the music is so good. But we get into these. I don't want to say that Lehar is an area composer. We get to these, you know, sort of like minor operatic composers or more operatic composers. We have a little bit less patience. No, it's it's nothing to do with the genre at all because you can do Merry Widow where it's like it's extremely fast paced and the dialogue is snappy and the dialogue is correct and the thing really moves and the dancing is awesome and the women are beautiful and Agreed. it's yeah, it's it's it nothing was to do with this particular production. Yeah. I think this is my second production of Merry Widow and I remember being really excited to see it and then I sat through it and I was like Wait, can I go to sleep now? But didn't they have like that some like they did half musical theater people and half opera people in this show? Like, were there some people in the cast that were like legit musical theater people? I, I didn't notice that. I don't. The one I, I don't did think really so. Like, like Kelly O'Hara or something like that. Or no, no, that she was wasn't in this. One? No, no. Okay. Mm-hmm. I liked uh, George. What was the name of the the servant guy? The really funny one. Ah, the, the, well, the character is called Niegush. Yeah, I thought mm. he was he was pretty spot on. He was pretty fast and had good energy. At least the night that I saw him. I'm going to give him an A. I need to look up his name, and I'll tell you why. It's because that is a guy, as Oliver just mentioned, who is from the musical theater, and he actually knows like how to play a show like this, and like when to drive the text, and when not to wait for the laugh, and when to wait for the laugh. And I mean, his sense of timing was fantastic, and that's absolutely what. 
you need in that role because the guy doesn't do any singing. I think maybe also these super title things might have saddled down some of the laughs, you know, like if you're saying that they don't line up with what was being spoken on the stage, that can really kill a joke if you read it before it's spoken, you know? True. There's no question. Well, uh, that's our Monday evening quarterback for now. Uh, hopefully we can all go see Pearl Fishers and on a future show we can, we can give that the old treatment. Uh, in the meantime, stick around for the pop quiz. Javon is going to set it up. And, uh, of course, this is your chance to play. Give us a call, 847-866-WNUR. That's 847-866-9687. Pop quiz coming up next. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George, Oliver, and Giovanna. <laughs> Pop quiz. Oh, boy. <laughs> We're all Oliver. laughing at, at Norm Waddell, who is, uh, is our announcer, um, just as our fantastic voiceovers. Oh, and yes. um, for Oliver's, I was like, I need you to give me like the meanest, baddest, lowest voice you can possibly do, like after you've smoked a cigar. <laughs> and uh, he did a pretty good job. I love it. It's, it's yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. What do you got for us, Jojo? All right. The quiz theme today is Francis Poulenc, who was born on... Oh, I love it when you talk dirty. Talk dirty to me. <laughs> Wrong song. Sorry. Um, Francis Poulenc was born on January 7th, 1899. So we are celebrating his birth week. I was originally going to do Pedagoresi, but he got knocked down by Oliver Camacho. <laughs> How do you say happy birthday and it's joyeux? Joyeux, joyeux anniversaire. Okay. Or bon, you could say bon fête, right? No. That's oh. fête is when it's your name, name day. day. Oh, it's yeah. right. All right. Okay. Okay. Give you Are a you beat. guys ready? Do you guys have your kazoos at, <laughs> the, at the ready? Okay. So yes. here's, here's going to be my little signal, which you're going to hear, and then you're going to call me. It's... <laughs> and, and my signal will always be a famous tenor aria on the kazoo. So just be ready for that. Just keep okay. it short. Yeah. All right. <laughs> the whole aria. <laughs> question number one. Poulenc's father was a very affluent man in Paris. He was the director of A, the Poulenc Textile Company, B, the Poulenc Chemical Company, C, the Poulenc Perfume Store. George. The uh, chemical company. Yes. B, right? What, what chemicals do they make over there? It was it was like um, sulfur. Mm. Smells really good. Mm. Okay. One zip. Two. Wait, let me put a G by this so I remember because I'll forget. Yeah, we got a G for George. Wait, we also are taking callers now too, right? Yes. So somebody can call in and answer the quiz. Exactly. So, yeah. True. Keep your call hand on the people. phone. So. <laughs> okay. Two. Which Poudin opera is a one-sided phone conversation of an emotionally unstable woman with her lover of five years? Wait. You have to let me finish the question. No. A. La pauvre femme, which translates to the poor woman. B, téléphone, which translates to shocker, telephone. Or C, la voix humaine, the human voice. <laughs> that, that's me, right? That is you, but Oliver was so ready. C, la voix humaine. I, I, I forgot that this was, we had to wait for the question to be read out. This is Jeopardy so. style, so yeah. yeah. That yeah. was an easy one. Yeah. Your buzzer would have been turned off because you buzzed in early. <laughs> it's true. If we were with Alex. Trevor. We need our producer to be more on top of that. You know, to, to zip, here to we go. Down, so. Okay. Um, continuing on a previous subject, Les Mamelles de Tiresias is an opera bouffe satirical piece on the necessity of having children. The title translates to what in English? Tiresias' nipples, 
Upper nipples! Hashtag. Teresia's balls. <laughs> oh, come on. George. <laughs> yes. uh, it's the, the breasts of Teresia's. No, it's so, the nipples. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Les mamelles. Le- Une mamelle is a nipple. Mm, I, you're, you're wrong. Actually, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> and I actually, someone told me this. Is mamelle. You can correct me if I'm wrong, actually, Giovanna. But isn't mamel? It's really more like it's not breasts, memory glands. It's it's like udders. It's like what's on a cow yeah, versus it's like the what's on a nipple. woman. Are the udders the nipple? Isn't that the teat? Nipple and teat are essentially the same thing, right? And that's why it's it's like udders and breasts. So it's the nipples. <laughs> I, I say it's upper nipples. I'm surprised so. you're confused about this, Giovanna. <laughs> I'm so confused. She speaks French. <laughs> She's. I can speak English too. Nipple, I speak nipple, English. Nipple, nipple, nipple. <laughs> well, how do you wh- how do you say breasts in in, in French? Saint. Okay. Les seins de Tiresias, you'd say. Okay. Uh, uh, mamel is like very much a nipple. What were you going to say, Oliver? Were you going to get it wrong? He was going to say Tiresias balls. <laughs> <laughs> I think I get that point just by default because, like you know. I need to catch up over here. Fair and plus, opera nipples. Hashtag opera nipples. So. We're trending on Twitter right now. <laughs> Third question. Le Dialogue des Carmelites, Dialogue of the Carmelites, is the story of 16 Carmelite nuns guillotined for crimes against the French people. What crimes are these? A. Oh, what crime is this, I should say. A. Stealing camembert and bread to feed the poor people of France. <laughs> B. Refusing to give up their religious habits. C, harboring noble women that have sought refuge, refuge in the monastery. Oh. That's <laughs> I'm going to give it to you, Oliver, just because you kept going. Don't mess up. Uh, refusing to give up the religious order. Yes. Good job. Yeah. Thanks. Number five. Hey, we're tied, right? Yeah, this is, tied. This tied. is exciting. This is the last All question. right. This is really exciting. It's very easy. For, For the win. Poudinck started a long-standing collaboration with which influential, influential French artist at the age of 36? A. Pierre Bernac, B. Jean Cocteau, C. Eric Satie. Uh, Cocteau. B. Cocteau. Uh, no, Cocteau he met when he was 21. Ah. Bernac. Ah. Right, Oliver. Oliver wins. Yes, Oliver, Pierre macho, Bernac. Macho, They're macho, both macho. gay, too. They probably slept together. Oh, man. I can't. I was so close. Check out her nipples. That was really well done, though, Giovanna. Thank you. You're not my hot cocoa host for nothing. Thanks. Hot cocoa host. See, cocos are another word for breasts, not for nipples. <laughs> mamel is nipple. We learned so much in this uh, quiz. We learned that uh, mamel does not pr- uh, translate into breasts. Not at all. We learned that uh, Bernac and Poulenc were uh, lovers. Don't you people think about anything else? We are going to step aside for a minute and wash our mouths out with soap. This is Opera Box Score on And that I did not waste my uh, music degree because I can do all these tenor arias on the kazoo. So. <laughs> Get you in a minute. Go Northwestern. You're listening to Opera Box Score. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. What? Why? Just wait for the inheritance. We've definitely got a rich uncle somewhere. We're one call away from the winner's circle at the Derby, dinners with multiple forks, a vacation home in the country, using summer as a verb. You don't actually think that, do you? 
When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. We're your pets, and this song's dedicated to those people who don't have health insurance yet. Enroll, we say, we want you to be okay. Enroll, we say, take care, people, for goodness sake. Health insurance is now affordable. It covers prescriptions, hospitalizations, and preventive care. Visit GetCoveredAmerica.org to learn more. And take care, people. Hey, America. Brought to you by Get America we need to have a little talk. We've got a lot of food in this country. We've got so much food that we can't eat it all. So how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to hungry kids who need it. Support Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Shock Talk on Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, and Giovanna Jacques. Welcome back to Opera Box Score, 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago. This is WNUR. We're also streaming live, wnur.org slash pop-up. We have a brand new website, operaboxscore.squarespace.com. Check it out there. You can listen to our show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. You can check out the Facebook page that we have. I'll tell you, guys, this show has just... We're on Stitcher now? We are, we are all over the place. And actually, I should say this. I was going to say that for the very, very end, but um, we are going to be doing this every single week. It's true. We are not going to be live every single week on the air. That is something we reserve what? for every other Monday. But those Mondays in the middle, so for example, next Monday we're going to be doing our podcast. That allows us to produce segments a little more cleanly. That allows us to interview people. We've moved the TKO segment to the podcast. What it's going to allow you to do is get your opera news and your opera insight from the Opera Box Score crew every single Monday around the 9 o'clock hour. So do not forget that. We're getting into the podcasting business, huh? It's true. I'm excited for it. I'm also excited for Giovanna's Chalk Talk. Take it away. Okay. Right before we came into the studio, we were talking about our Chalk Talks, and Oliver thought that this festival, which is called the Prototype Festival, he actually thought I was inventing it from the depths of my very smart brain. But alas, the Prototype Festival is real and very successful. Uh, It's currently beginning its fourth season uh, on January 6th and goes until the 17th. It specializes in cutting-edge operas, usually contemporary. Um, And going into this fourth season, they have produced and presented 91 performances that share the work of over 275 local, national, and international artists. So that's pretty impressive already in in three years of having covered that much ground. Uh, It's originally founded by Kristen Marting, Beth Morrison, and Kim Whitener. Uh, these three women who have really done quite an extraordinary job of making this a long-standing festival that has really quite a quite a lot of gravitas. So, how many years has it been in? This is the fourth season. Okay. So and it's have, been three have years. Have any of the composers that have come out of the Prototype Festival are they composers that I might have heard of? Well, I think I think they probably have. I mean, I'm just going to run down the the list here. Going oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go down it, George. All right, okay. make it happen. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so the first one, Angel's Bone, is composed by Du Yun and is a story of two angels that come back to Earth. They're bruised and battered by their long journey, but a couple takes them in, nurses them back to health, only to trap them and exploit them for their magical powers. Uh, it's a very sad story. The music is a fusion of chamber music, punk rock, opera, cabaret, and electronics. Second on the season is Dog Days, which is composed by David T. Little. And it's about an American middle-class family that's faced with a future wartime scenario. So the opera is a psychological look at what drives humans to act the way that we do and how the line between being animals and being humans is so, so very fine. Uh, this is a very much an opera theater genre. The third opera, The Good Swimmer, is composed by Heidi Roden Rodenwald, which I will be honest, I read the synopsis about 10 times and could not understand what it's about. <laughs> but it's set on a surf beach. The story unfolds as a family of lifeguards um, during the early days of Vietnam begin to rally the Vietnam War, begin to realize just how drastic this war will be and how much it'll wear on their family ties. Also, uh, music, theater, opera genre. Uh, the fourth I am looking forward to is called The Last Hotel, which is composed by the Irish composer Donica Dennehy. And it's about a beautiful woman who meets a couple in the parking lot of a hotel, and they are there to assist her in her suicide. And the opera explores the deep relationship that they form during the last moments of this beautiful woman's life. And despite the very heavy story matter, the reviews praise it for its very dry humor, <clears throat> which, of course, you can only leave to the Irish to make even okay. death funny. So you just ran down the four shows that are happening for this particular season. There are two more. Oh, six shows. Okay, go on. Uh, the fifth is Saga, which is composed by Grégory Frater and Nicolas Rombou, two Belgian um, men. And it's a mix of jazz, gospel, and spirituals. It discovers a lot of um, mythological stories from Iceland and Gre Greenland. And then the last is La Reina from Jorge Sosa. And it's electroacoustic opera in Spanish and English and explores the increasingly violent war that is the drug trade bec between Mexico and the U.S. I'm telling you, go to the prototypefestival.org yeah, website. There is an awesome uh, image for the uh, La Arena show. Uh, Oliver, I think you were I, also asking kind of in the past. Yeah, I, you know, well, here are some questions. Like one is composers who have appeared to prototype. Do I know them now? Like, is it Nico Mueller or something like that? And two, my other question, which now I, I really want the answer to this one more, more okay. so than the first one, is what is the goal? Like, is the goal to try to, you know, mash up different genres like you yes. keep talking about? And to what end? Like, to make this, you know, the new style of opera, like, to be pro produced again and to be taken seriously as the genre and, and the state that it's in? Or is it an I incubator think, for, I mean, I'm confused. Like, what is the point? You I know? think you're thinking too much into it. And I think it's really just trying to mesh a lot of different genres and really create something, you know, try and break down the barriers of opera. Yeah, I get, I, I get so. But are we calling it opera? Are they yes, calling they it opera? they are calling it opera. Okay. Unabashedly I'm, calling it punk rock opera or electro opera. Which, I mean, the punk rock thing, like, yes, there are elements of that to some of the pieces, but I mean, okay, so let's go back to 2013, which is the first year of the festival. Two of the composers, Oliver, which I think you're going to recognize, the first one was David T. Little, uh, who did a piece called Soldiers' Songs that year, um, which was about PTSD and soldiers returning from Vavric? war. Was that a Vavric libretto? Uh, I believe it was, yes. I'm going to confirm well, he that. He's currently doing Dog Days this right. season. Um, libretto. No, actually, David T. Little did the libretto for that oh. as well. Um, but Vavrek is is a biggie um, for this year. The other composer in 2013 was um, Mohamed Farouz. 
who wrote Sumeda's song. Oh, I saw now, that. okay, so here's here's how I'm going to answer your second question. It was again the the festival is called Prototype, right? So really, <clears throat> what? And I I've been to the space. I know Beth Morris, and I know Kim Weiner, who organized the thing. And I've been to the theater, and it's absolutely tiny. You know, it's like sixty people. So the idea is to like let's do this thing. Let's try this thing out. Let's see if it works. Let's see if there's interest from other companies to take the next step with it. And indeed, that's what happened in 2014 with a piece called Paul's Case. Right, the show had uh, started, I believe, at Urban Arias in Washington D.C. It then went to Prototype, and then from there, that piece. It was the same production, by the way. It, that piece continued to not grow, I suppose the piece changed a little bit, but really like more people did the show. And so this this prototype became part of the mainstream. Sure. And, and the reason why I'm asking the question is not to be a jerk or anything like that, but it's just because I'm, I'm trying to figure out if these people are trying to do this thing specifically for the festival, which has an audience that's willing to see this type of bizarro stuff, and do they ever intend on reproducing it somewhere else? And will they call it opera? And will they try to put it in venues where we see opera? Or will they only be able to produce these shows in in places like Museum of Contemporary Art or like BAM where these hybrid things exist? And is that the route that opera is going, you know? No, well, you absolutely these pieces can be done in, in, in sort of, quote, you know, regular opera houses. Like Paul's Case was a show I directed when I was at Pittsburgh Opera. You know, lots of people just from the opera community went to see it because it was really well written and it was an interesting take on a story. Again, I would not – the website does a good job at getting that kind of like gritty goth feel. But honestly, and yes, it's in New York and so that I – mean, you know how much of a hater I am on New York. Like it gives it that sort of like edgy feel, but they're really, I think, overselling that. Like a lot of this stuff, I'm not going to call it mainstream. You know, it's not Merry Widow to quote a show that we've talked about earlier on in the program. Um, I mean, there's no choreographed whooping. No, no, not there's this no, one. There's Can't not. Cancel. You know, I mean, and maybe there's a little bit of nudity, and maybe there's some like loud no, rock no, music. No, no, baby, and, that's what I'm talking about. But um, yeah, I the, like the the, the punk rock. Thing is is really, it's not overrated or overpromoted. It's it's just like it's it's not the point, really. Here, it really is about like trying to push the boundaries of of what the intersection is between opera and theater and how those two things make art and art is about now in the present moment. That's why the whole thing is called prototype opera theater now. Oh wow! Did you work on their? Uh... Communications and uh, it sounds like I did. No, again, it's just because I know the know the founders, and I think they're marvelous women. I think it's such a great idea. You know, not every piece that's come out of here has been a, a huge hit. I mean, I don't think you could yeah, expect I'm that. So, I mean, like people who listen to Opera Now podcast know that I am so old fashioned. I want to listen to standard canon operas sung by good singers. I want to see traditional productions. So well, I'm a really I'm a hard sell for these so, things, Oliver. So. Like I'd recommend that you you go on the website. I was actually. A little bit hesitant, and then I was on the website, listened to a bunch of the videos, looked at the trailer, and I yeah. was like, oh, this is really cool. So for those of you that are interested, their website is www.prototypefestival.org. Yeah, I mean, really, and if you're listening in New York City, obviously you should, if you can, get a ticket. It's really hard, I think, actually, to to get a seat just because the venues are so tiny. But um, you should absolutely go and check it out. I, I, you won't be disappointed, and you won't be bored. I can tell you that. Uh, it is worth just going to— Especially if there's nipples. Well, if you're Oliver, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, you should definitely consider going and and, and checking it out.
Giovanna, I thank you for bringing that to our attention for you your chalk so talk. You're so welcome. Uh, we are going to step aside for a brief second, and we're going to bring it back. We're going to wrap this show up with our good call, bad call segment. Keep it tuned here. 89.3 FM, WNUR, Evanston, Chicago. Start listening and uh, posting about us on Twitter, Opera Box Score, Facebook, Opera Box Score, right? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. All right. Well, we got a few minutes left on this week's episode of Opera Box Score. Time for Good Car, Bad Call, the best and the worst of what's happened in opera this week. Oliver, you go first. Well, you know, most theaters are dark uh, this time of the year, so I didn't see anything uh, since our last show. But I I will uh, bring up a couple of things. Uh, I guess they're both good calls. Um, Aretha Franklin at the Kennedy Center Awards. I don't know if you saw this, but it's gone viral uh, she came out. It was they were honoring um, like Seiji Ozawa and Carol King and other people. But anyway, Aretha Franklin came out and sat down at the piano wearing a fur coat and started playing uh, "You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman," and she like crushed it. And then she got up from the piano and like took off her fur and like finished, you know, the last. No, 30 seconds of a song, just, you know, wailing on a bunch of high notes. And it was, she's like, whatever, 76 years old or something like that. And she still has this amazing technique. And everybody was so moved. And like, Carol King is in the audience, like, having an orgasm. And Barack Obama's crying. And like, it's one, I have to say, kudos to anybody who has that type of technique and can, you know, still sing at the age of 76. And also that it takes an artist like Aretha Franklin to draw attention to the Kennedy Center Awards, which is something that, you know, is so prestigious and nobody knows about anymore. It used to be something that everybody probably watch it on PBS when it came on. And now you only hear about it when something like this happens. And at least it's happening and that, you know, people are still being recognized for their achievement in art. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait till Aretha Franklin gets her own Kennedy Center Award. <laughs> right the other on. thing I want to talk about really quickly, since we have time, uh, is Star Wars The Force Awakens. And I can't wait for the opera version of it. Okay, it just, I haven't seen it. So please, 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 please don't spoil okay. it. Well, Renata Scotto would be my uh, casting choice for uh, now General Organa, who used to be Princess Leia. Mm, excellent. Javana <laughs> like Jacques. I do want to say one thing before I go on my sad call and good call. I saw Aretha Franklin this summer at Ravinia, and it was the highlight of my summer. It was Aww. amazing. Anyhow, my sad call, not bad, not good, is that Kurt Mazur died on December 15th at the age of 88 from complications of a Parkinson's, of Parkinson's disease. I can speak, actually. I, I did learn when I was a kid. Uh, he, this, he was so well-respected and beloved. Uh, he was the conductor of the New York Phil. Uh, he followed Pierre Boulez and Zubin Mehta and was considered the best thing to happen to the orchestra since Leonard Bernstein's reign from 1958 to 1969. So uh, he was there from 1991 to 2002. So that's my sad call. Uh, My good call is I went to see the movie Concussion, which explores the dangers of football uh, and head trauma, which Will Smith plays in. And Will Smith did a fantastic job. It was an incredible movie, and I haven't stopped thinking about it since I saw it. Hmm. And the opera version of it, who are we going to cast? Who's going to be the Will Smith character? You. Lois Brownlee! (laughs) No. That's racist. (laughs) 
Uh, all right. Well, I'll keep with the movie theater. I, I see like one no, movie Noah a Stewart. year. And the movie that I saw this year was not Star Wars yet, although I will break my rule and see that. The movie I saw was called In the Heart of the Sea, which is this film adaptation of a book, which is the inspiration of Moby Dick. Oh. You saw, my, you saw that? Yeah. Oh. I saw it with my brother. I can't and imagine you seeing that. I know. Doesn't it have like uh, Liam Hemsworth or yeah. something like that? Yeah, it mm. is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I really Chris liked Hemsworth it. It was a little bit... Um, opera nipples? Yeah, there were some. There were definitely some opera nipples in there. It's directed by Ron Howard, so it's a little bit sentimental at times. Mm. Uh, but Did I really they get attached to Moby? Enjoyed it. Do they what? Did they get attached to the whale? Uh, no, they never actually catch the whale. Which is kind of no, but we like sentimentally attached. Sentimentally yeah. attached. At the very that. end, they do. Can you believe that? That's they love so the whale. I know. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, is Jamie uh, Bell in that movie? I don't think so. Okay. I thought I, I saw in the in the preview somebody who looked like Jamie Bell, who's my husband. So yeah. I should know. Yeah. Oh, that was my good call. I I, I don't see a lot of movies, and but I really and the uh, and the operatic version of it, who's cast as a uh, well, it's kind of been done, hasn't it? Oh, I that's mean, right. Uh, there's already a version of a, Moby Dick. What's his name? Uh, not Ricky and Gordon. But, not Mark Adamo. Um, no, what's his name? Uh, Dead Man Walking. Uh, uh, Jake Heggie. Thank you, Jake Heggie, yeah. yeah With, uh, what's his Mark name? Delavan? Stan, no. not Stanford Olsen, but like really big tenor. Uh, ben Hepner, wasn't he? Queequeg or whatever his name is. Yeah. <laughs> you should read the book, Giovanna. I should read the book. I haven't Wait, read it yet. What are you talking about? I have read the book. <laughs> I remember. I just... That's it for tonight's show. Our in-show announcer is Norm Waddell. You can visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com. That's V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S dot com. And our programming director is Ville Scholzney, and the general manager for WNUR is Maddie Higgins. Right now, you're rocking out to the song Vodka Inferno by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. Hey, let us know what you think of the show. OperaBoxScore at gmail.com, at OperaBoxScore on Twitter, OperaBoxScore on Facebook. Be sure to check out our podcast, which is available on iTunes, Sound cloud and stitcher so we're going to archive this show and you can uh have a listen you can leave comments reviews and stars we're going to post the podcast next monday right around nine o'clock or so and we're back live in studio monday january 18th at 9 p.m central i'm george cedarquist asking you to keep the conversation about opera going at a dive bar near you you're listening to wnur fm evanston chicago chicago's sound experiment javana final thought Happy New Year, everyone, and thank you for joining us for the new, exciting year of 2016.